So the first topic that, that, that in both campuses that just everyone wanted to know about was this question of the will of God. And so I'm going to try to dive into that uh, today. And I, I love that you asked this question, that this is what you wanted to hear about, because I think it's a very mature question. You know, so many people, maybe you're in this room today and this is you, but I hope by the end uh, of the sermon that you feel differently. But so many people don't really want to know what God's will for their life is. They don't really want to know what God wants them to do in a situation. But rather, they really want is to make a plan and God bless their plan. Like, here's my will, God, can you bless it now? Here's what I want to do, here's my desires, God, can you bless it? But that is not what the Bible says. The, the, the Bible says things differently, that we're supposed to seek God's will for our life, not our will and hope that God blesses it. And so I think this is a very mature question, and I'm excited to hopefully shed some light on that and help you see and understand the will of God, because at times it's difficult to distinguish exactly what God is wanting us to do. Let's pick up in chapter, uh, James chapter 4, verse 13. I love these verses. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And I love this. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. I think that's a good place to stop and pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done today. I thank you that you're going to speak to us, that you're going to make things clear to us today, oh God that you're going to open our eyes to see and to understand what your will is for each and every one of our lives. Have your way today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love this line that James writes because he, he, gets, he gets right to the point of the matter. He says, you know, there's a lot of you out there and you say, you know, I'm planning to do this. You know, just put it into perspective. He's saying, you know, you're going to go and you're going to go to another city or you're going to stay for a while, maybe a year, and you're going to sell, you're going to buy and sell and trade and you're going to make a bunch of money. And he's saying, you know, that's that's fine, but you're asking the wrong question and you're, and you're going the wrong way. He says, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Here's his point. You can't see the future, but you're dick trying to dictate your own future. He's saying, instead, you should be asking this question of yourself. What is your life? Because if you just live your life, as he's talking about here, about making a little bit of money and enjoying life and going and doing, if, if that's what your life is about, what is your life? It is nothing but a vapor. Specifically here in the Greek, what he's referring to is um, like a boiling pot of water and the vapors that come up out of the water as it's boiling. And, be, and before it is of any good or any use, before it's hardly even recognizable, it is gone and dissipated. And here's what he's saying. If you live your life in such a way that it's all about what I want and I've got to make the next buck and I've got to do this and I want to do that and you're just, you're just chasing even the American dream, he says your life will come and gone and it will have been of no impact. So then he asked the question, what is your life? Well, he goes on. He, he, gets, he gets further with it. He's going to give us the definition of boasting. 
Here is the definition of boasting according to James. He said, as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Here's his point. Living your life according to your own plans rather than the plans of God is what he defines as boasting and arrogance. Wow, God. I mean, is he, is, is he, is he saying it's bad to want to, to want to make money in your life? No. But the question is, what does God have for you? I want to know God's will in my life. The solution to the problem that he's raising is, the, the, the question that he's raising is to, is to learn the will of God and live according to the will of God. He said, he didn't say no one was going to go to another town and make money. He just said, you ought to be asking what the Lord wills for your life. Because if he wants you to go, he'll make a way. But if he doesn't want you to go, you're going to be fighting against God. And against everyone else that's trying to make a buck. You would be better off doing it according to the will of God. Are you tracking with me? Otherwise, your life is just a vapor that will be lived and be gone and never make an impact on the world. I don't know about you, but when I'm gone, I don't want to be forgotten. I, I, I want somebody to remember me. I, I want somebody to know that I was here. I don't want to just disappear into the pages of history and never have made an impact. How do I fix that? I live my life according to the will of God. So, understanding the will of God. What is your life? There's uh, an old saying here uh, that I heard my whole life. And people would say, you know, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And, and the answer would be, Lord willing, yes, I will. Or, Lord willing, no, I won't. And I know that's not commonplace in, in our uh, language, in our, in our talk today. But the truth is, there's something powerful in that statement. If the Lord is willing, yes, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But if the Lord is not willing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something else. Because I want to do and live my life according to the will of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says it like this. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever i don't want to just pass away along with the desires of the world but but i want to abide with god forever and so i must do the will of god are you living life for the temporal things the things on this earth that will pass away the desires of this world or are you living life according to the eternal things the will of god how are you living this is the core of the questions james said what is your life but knowing that will of god it's not always easy. So what do we do? Well, I hear, and, and, I, and I will tell you that I have tried these, okay? I've tried these. And I hear about the fleece method. I don't know if you know what the fleece method is. And so, Lord, if you want me to do this, then when I go outside this morning, I need it to be raining. Right? If you want me to pray this morning, when I wake up, I need it to be raining so I get rained out at work, and then I'll have time to pray with you. If you want me to buy this, uh, this, this car that I can't afford, then have the salesman say to me, this is a great deal. <laughs> One of my good friends is a car salesman. He's going to love it that I said that. Um, I, but, but here's the point. The fleece method can get you in trouble. Because if you don't think 
The devil can hear your words and align up coincidences and courses of events to get you off track, then you are missing the you are missing it because he will absolutely cause things to happen to be an answer to your prayer. I don't recommend the fleece method. Not to say that I've never used it, but I, it's uh, it, you know it's dangerous. Or or there's this one. There's the uh, and and again I have done this one as well. Flip open the Bible and point. Like, Lord, I need an answer. But here's the problem. You know, one, one guy decided he was going to try this, so he flipped it open to 1 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 4. And it said this, So Hanan seized David's ambassadors and shaved them, cut off their robes at the buttocks, <laughs> and sent them back to David in shame. But he, but he said, well, hold on a minute. I need another one. So he flipped it again to Luke 10, 37, and said, Jesus said, you go and do the same. So... Come on now, that's funny. I worked hard on that right there. Come on, man, I worked really hard on that. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the, here's the point. I'm not going to tell you that I've never opened my Bible and God has just spoken to me because he has. But utilizing that as a continual method to determine the will of God in your life is dangerous and it will steer you wrong. Not the Bible, but just taking what God, what scriptures out of context and not what God is saying to you and applying them as if this is a direction. No, no, no. You got to hear from God. You got to, there is a scripture in here for you. But you know what? It is okay. If you're struggling and you're, and you're dealing with fear, don't just flip the Bible open and go to a verse. But you know what? Do a, do a search about scriptures that have to do with fear and go read about it. You know, you can use, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, online search tools that will help you uh, find answers that you're needing about the Bible. You don't even have to have a Strong's Concordance anymore. I know you're like, well, I don't even know what a Strong's Concordance is. But you, there are answers in the Word of God, and I want you to find them. But don't just flip and point and, and hope that, you know, it's going to be right because, you know, it could go bad for you. I'm just saying. <laughs> Finding the will of God. Is uh, is that right there, Ronnie? I really enjoy playing golf. I don't get to play as much as I used to, um, but it's a really good game and a lot of fun. And I think finding the will of God is a, is a lot like playing golf. Uh, when you're playing golf, for for those that have played and for those that haven't played, uh, there are multiple. They cut the grass at different levels, and right in the best part of how they want you to play the course. To, to your best advantage to score the best is they cut the grass really really short and on good courses uh, it's a lot like carpet at times uh, I've had the chance to play some beautiful courses in my life and it's almost like hitting off carpet and what that allows you to do it allows you to make clean contact with the ball uh, so you're maximizing what the club can do the spin uh, you can hit it straighter, you can hit it farther, you can hit it with more control uh, when the grass is, is nice and short and, and tight. Um, it also, in the fairway, uh, they design the course to be played from the fairway. So oftentimes there are hidden greens or dog legs, which is basically a turn. And so the, but the way to get there is to follow the fairway. On the outsides of the fairway is the rough. The rough is just taller grass. It's still grass. You can still play from it. It's just not recommended. 
So what happens is, if I hit it in the rough, uh, so this is a 60-degree wedge. A 60-degree wedge, I hit about 80 yards to 90 yards, uh, somewhere right in there, depending on how I play the shot. Well, that's off the fairway. But when I go into the rough and I go to hit, the, the grass grabs my club, doesn't allow me to make clean contact, and now I'm swinging harder than I should have to swing, but the ball's going not even as far as it should be going. You see where I'm going with this? And getting outside of the will of God, it's not that you can't live your life. It's just that outside of the will of God, it's harder than it should be. Outside of the will of God, you'll put in more effort but get less done than you would if you were in the will of God. And, and the thing about the rough is uh, it's, it's difficult because when you're in the rough, uh, at least for me, I'm, I, it doesn't matter who I'm playing with, I'm trying to win. And this goal is to get it in the hole in as few strats as possible. So I don't want to like chip out of the rough back onto the fairway. I still want to go for the green from the rough, right? But when you get in the rough and you try to go from green... Many, many times your next shot ends up in the rough again. Rather than taking it to just say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm going to take my layup shot and I'm going to get back in the fairway. No, I'm going to try to hit it through a grove of trees that I've got one little crack through, like I'm Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods or something, and I'm going to try to hit it through there. And of course, then it's dangerous for everyone around because the ball's going everywhere and it's just a bad deal. And next thing you know, I've hit five shots trying to get out of the rough when I should have just tipped back into the fairway in the first place. Once we get off track in our life, it's so easy to just stay off track. When if we would stop and say, Lord, I'm in the rough, and I need to get back in the fairway. And even if it takes me a little extra time, even if it takes me a little extra uh, 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 worry or, or, or a work to get back in the fairway, and I don't get to move forward as fast as I thought I wanted to, God, I want to get back in your will, and then everything will be easier from there. The other thing we have on the golf course is uh, we call them hazards, hazards. And these are really bad. There's sand traps, and there's water hazards, and there's uh, all types of hazards. There's out of bounds. And all, when you go in these things, if you go in the water, if you go out of bounds, it causes you to have to take penalty strokes. And I've got to tell you, there's a few times in my life where I've made decisions that put me in a hazard that it felt like I had to take a penalty stroke on my life. I was playing a few years ago, uh, uh, before my kids were involved in baseball and softball and stuff, I played golf a lot more. And uh, so I played pretty regularly over at Brentwood. Uh, and so I entered a tournament over there. And, man, I was winning the tournament. It was fantastic. I was, uh, man, I was playing the best golf of my life. And I got to one specific par five. It, it still haunts me today. And, it's a, and you kind of hit it around a corner, over a ditch, and around the corner. And there's some houses on the right right here. And uh, there's an out-of-bounds stake in the, in the guy's yard. And I hit my first shot, and I was pretty sure it was out-of-bounds. So when you hit one out-of-bounds, you have to hit another one off the tee box. So I hit another one off the tee box. So it's like one, two back to the tee box, three. And I, but I thought I got that one in place, so I should be lying three, right? Well, I got over there, and here's the stick. And there are both of my balls right there. So now I have to drive all the way back to the tee box again take another penalty stroke, and tee off again. This time, I hit it, and I'm telling you, all three of my balls were, were within five yards of each other, but my last one, thankfully, was this close to the stick in the inside play, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. I ended up getting a 10 on that hole, which is terrible. It was terrible, 
and uh, took a long time. These uh, older fellows that I was playing with were very perturbed at me because I kept hitting the guy on the ground. They're like, just aim to the left. I'm like, no, I'm determined. I'm taking the corner, and it just it was bad. Got cussed a little bit. <laughs> Not the first time in my life. Just, um, I, 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 I'm just being honest. Um, not even the first time that week. <laughs> just, <laughs> and so um, I got a 10 on that hole, and I ended up losing the tournament by one stroke. And it was a winner-take-all tournament. I, won, I could have won several hundred dollars. It was going to be, like, incredible. But I lost by one stroke, all because I kept going into the hazard and having to go back and start again. I wonder if you were honest with yourself and your life. How many times you'd say, I made decisions that caused me to end up in a hazard and backed my life up because I had to go start again. Took a job and should have never taken it. Went somewhere and hung out with people that you, you should have never done. Put yourself in a position that you should have never put yourself in. Dated a person that you should have never dated. Bought a house you should have never bought. Bought a Chevy you should have never bought. But if we can get back into the fairway, life just plays easier from inside the will of God. It's just easier. So, um, when we're just trying to discover the will of God, there are, there are t two boundaries. And the will of God is, is between those. The one boundary is this. The, the one side of it is the sovereign will of God. Now, I use this in a very specific term, a little bit differently than I normally use it, but I, but I want to show you what I mean. What I mean when I say the sovereign will of God is I'm referring to what God is doing on the earth today. If you track history, you, you can look through and you can see uh, the hand of God moving as He's doing different things. And so when we're saying, God, what do you want me to do right now? One of those boundaries is uh, what God is doing, his sovereign will in the earth today. Um, I, I feel like right now one of the things that God is doing, and I get asked this question a lot, what do you see God doing uh, in the earth today? In, in America, God is clearly in a church planting move. Churches are being planted faster, quicker, uh, better, more efficiently, and more effectively uh, in communities than they've ever been planted before. So when I say, God, wh what are we doing? Well, well, you look around at Triumph. We, we started Beaumont uh, uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and then we started... Um, uh, Sugarland uh, eight or nine years ago we started Triumph DC and then we we brought in Angleton why because we're in line with that border of what God is doing in the earth today are you tracking with me so so what is God doing in the earth how is he moving uh, how is he moving I, I believe God is moving in in compassion right now and not judgment he's he's moving in compassion and I don't want to go deep into that and so when I say how am I responding to people I want to respond to people with compassion and not judgment even though some of compassion is speaking the truth you tracking with me so when you're determining the will of God there's this boundary that says what is God doing sovereignly in the earth today on the other side is the moral will of God 
the moral will of God. What do I mean there? I'm referring to what God has already said in His Word. Here's the thing. There is this boundary that is the Word of God. And He will not go against it. And so if we are doing something that is outside of this boundary, I can guarantee you, you are not in the will of God because he can't go against his word. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that his word is immutable, meaning it is without the ability to even change. So if you come to me and you say, you know, God, it was God's will that I do this or that I do that, and I'm saying that, that's, that's not even biblical, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't buy that you're inside the will of God while being outside the scope of what His Word says. It's the moral will of God. His Word is never changing. It's never changed and it never will because it lacks the ability. And then in the middle, in the fairway, is... Uh, personal will of God. Here's what I mean. What God desires for my life. You know, sometimes, and and I often say this to people, to determine what God wants for you or wants you to do, uh, one of the steps in that process is to realize what God doesn't want you to do. So before we start saying yes to this or yes to that, there's a whole lot of stuff we can just say no to. There's a lot of things that I just know God doesn't want me to do. Right? I joked earlier about teaching these kids how to dance. You know as well as I do. God does not want me to be a, a dancer in any way. I cannot do the stanky leg. It is bad. I can't whip. I can't nay-nay. I can't do any of it. It's bad. It's bad. So I, I, I know that there are things that God does not want me to do. Right? So I know on the right... I'm not going to get outside of the sovereign will of God, what he's doing on the earth. And on the left, I'm not going to get outside of what his word says around the moral will of God. And in the middle is this personal will of God, what he wants to do in my life. And and that's that's where um, the key to living according to the will of God lands and finding that place. And, And I want to dive in there, but let me just say it to you like this. The more I get to know the sovereign will of God and the moral will of God, the better I will discern the personal will of God in my life. If you can get all the other stuff out and narrow it down, the personal will of God for your life is going to become ever more clear. So, uh, let's put it to the test. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he said it like this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You know, they're, they're, We can test ideas and we can test the whims we can test the spirit behind a thought or a plan we can test it to see if it is the will of God we test this so I want to give you a couple of tests ways that you can determine if something is the will of God or not in your life would you like to know these I'm gonna put them on the screen I want you to write them down if you don't have anything to write down on put it on your smartphone if you don't have a smartphone you've got a dumb phone get an envelope and a pen and write it down okay so here it is. The first test is this. And, and, and if you don't get past this one, I don't, I, but there's no sense in talking about the others. Am I in right relationship with God? 
This is the foundation of the whole test. Am I in right relationship with God? It starts here. Uh, It's one of the reasons that we're praying for 21 days because I believe that when we get in right relationship with God and we get in focused prayer, it drowns out the noise in our lives. Uh, And so we're getting back in right. We're getting our relationship back with God. We, We get in line with Him. We're getting closer to the Holy Spirit. If you're out of relationship and yet with God and yet you're saying you've clearly heard from God, I have to say, you know what? Get back in right relationship with God and then see if that's what He's still saying. You know, if I'm close to you this morning, and uh, if if I didn't have this microphone on and we were close, I could talk to you and my words would be easily understandable. But if I didn't have this microphone on and I was trying to talk to you in the other room while everyone else was talking, you would struggle to hear me and understand me. When I first started coaching softball, Um, my wife, uh, who is a responder, and uh, she said to me, Randon, why are you always uh, screaming and yelling on the sidelines? It's like, because they deserve it. (laughs) But I said, well, babe, you got to think about this. There's parents shouting, there's other teams shouting, there's girls screaming and clapping and cheers going on, there's cars passing by, the wind is blowing, there's a lot of stuff happening, and this girl might be 300 feet from me. I can't whisper to her and her hear me. So it's not that I'm angry with her, but there's a distance. And for my voice to cover the distance, I have to speak louder. And I wonder how many times in life we thought God was yelling at us because he was angry. But in fact, he was yelling at us because he was trying to get our attention. We were too far away. And we could hear him better if we would close the distance. If we would get closer to God, if we would get in right relationship, suddenly you would be able to hear better than you can when God is on the other side of the room from you. The Bible says time and time again, uh, and, and I've heard it my whole life, that God often speaks in a still, small voice, and He speaks in a whisper, and He doesn't come with a megaphone in our life. And so we've got to get close to Him so we can hear. Are you in right relationship with God. Here's what the Bible says on the subject. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. If you're out living in the ways of the world and you're far from God, you're not going to learn God's will. We've got to get closer. Notice that little word. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. And when you learn God's will for you, it's good. It's pleasing. And it's perfect. Don't get caught up in the whims and feelings of our culture, but get close to God. Then you'll learn. Number two, uh, what does the Bible say? And we talked about this just a few moments ago, but what does the Bible say? Am I considering something that is outside of God's Word? Am I considering something that is outside of God's Word? If, you're, if you feel like it is the will of God for you to go down and, and, and rob the shell station on the corner, the Bible says thou shalt not steal. That's outside of the Word of God. Don't even consider it. It's not God. Now, things get more complicated than that, though. So go to the Word. Find out what the Word says on the subject. Um, and, and don't try to change God's Word to fit a cultural philosophy. Number three. Um, what would Jesus do? When I was a teenager, this statement was huge. WWJD. 
WWJD. Did anybody have a bracelet that said WWJD? Yes, Lord. Uh, but the truth is, this is a great way to live your life, asking what would Jesus do? If Jesus wouldn't do it, I probably shouldn't do it. Um, James said it like this in, in chapter 3. But if you harbor bitter envy uh, and, and selfish, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, and I love this, wisdom, in quotation marks, does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The question is, where is your wisdom coming from? Is it coming from heaven where Jesus is uh, and where God is, where the Holy Spirit is? Or is it coming from another place? How do you know? Ask these questions. If I were to do this, is it pure? Is it peaceful? Is it considerate? Is it submissive? Is it full of mercy? Is it, will it produce good fruit? Uh, is it impartial? And is it sincere? And if you can't answer those questions, then you might step back just a moment and say, would Jesus do this? Number four. Have I sought godly counsel? Here's what the wisest man that has ever walked the face of the planet had to say in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Think back to those times when I talked to you and I, and I asked you if you were being honest with yourself, how many of you times have you made a decision that ended yourself up in a hazard? Now, put it in light of this. What, did you have godly counsel telling you to do that? Oh, you might have had counsel. But that doesn't mean it was godly. Godly counsel takes them. It's one of the reasons that I, I love life teams. It's because it's an opportunity to sit with people that love you and have bought into your life and have your best interest at heart, and you can say, hey man, I'm thinking about doing this, what do you think? And uh, it gives perspective on a matter, gives, gives uh, some clarity oftentimes on a matter. I'm a huge believer in godly counsel. I take it on a regular basis, and I think all of us should live that way, because that's what the Bible says, um, that we should, that where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And number five, two more. Do I sense God's peace? Do I sense God's peace? Not just peace, you know, that, that, that could be, uh, you know, what you ate for lunch. But God's peace. 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 says this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Right? When God's will becomes clear, when His will and His timing is there, you'll find the peace of God as well. If you don't pe feel peace, then hold. You never know when more information might come out. You, you, it might be the right decision, but the wrong time. Just hold. If you don't feel peace, just hold. Peace outside God's word just isn't peace. And I'll tell you this, guys, I'm going to be straight honest with you. My wife is a great barometer of the peace of God in my life. She'll say to me, Rand, I just don't feel good about this. And when she does, it's a check for me. Hold on a minute. 
And I, and I, I think that many times I've seen that women have a, a, a little bit more sensitivity to, uh, the, to the peace of God and things being off. And, and I think as men, we ought to be the leaders of our home. And part of being the leaders of our home is recognizing that God puts uh, people, oftentimes our wives and our life, that can help be a barometer that keep us from making a wrong decision. And number six, um, is it my will or is it God's will? Is it my will or is it God's will? Matthew 26, verse 39, and uh, you, you, you've heard this scripture many times before, I'm sure. And going a little further, this is Jesus. He fell down on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is where it gets difficult. This, this is where it gets really tough. When, when our will is different than God's will, and God's will is the hard one. When God's will is, the, is the, to be blessed, when God's will is the, is the happiness and the joy and the fulfillment of every dream you've ever had, then we're all into God's will. But when God's will means drinking a cup and going to a cross, that's when it gets difficult. And I think that's what separates the people that truly love God with every bit of their heart, every fiber of their being. I think that's what separates the people that say, He really is my Lord, from the people that kind of love Jesus and kind of want to follow Him. They're fair-weather Christians because their life is not fully submitted. The only way, you've heard me to say this before, if He is not Lord of all, then He's not Lord at all. And so if we're not submitted fully to God, then we're not submitted at all. And that includes when he says, go to the cross, drink the cup. You say, well, Pastor Renner, I don't, I don't have to go to the cross. That's not what he's asked of me. Well, maybe not. But here's how Jesus said to pray. First off, he said that we should take up our cross and follow him. Lay down our will and take up his will. The disciples came to Jesus. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay, when you pray, pray like this. Why did they want to know how Jesus prayed? Because when Jesus prayed, things happened. When Jesus prayed, it wasn't just muttering in words a, a recited prayer, but it, it, it reflected depth of relationship. And Jesus said it like this, started out with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he said this, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before he said, pray give us this day our daily bread, before he said ask for whatever you want, he said first thing you do is you pray for God's will to be done, not your own. If your bread fits inside his will, chances are that you will see many more answered prayers. But if your bread, if your request, if your desire is outside His will, He is under no obligation to answer your every request. Do you start your day with this in mind? Because here's, here's the last statement I want to make for you, and this, this, this represents my heart, and I want it to be yours as well. And I challenge you with this, and it's this, this statement. I want what God wants, period.
I want what God wants. And so every morning when I start my day and I go through the Lord's Prayer, and it takes me about 20 minutes or so, sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's less, but I take about 20 minutes and I go through the Lord's Prayer and I stop here every day. And, and, and this is the reflection of my heart. I want what God wants, period. Jesus, I want what you want. I'm submitted to you. And before I ask for anything, I want what you want. But, and, and if I ask and I ask amiss, the, you don't even worry about it because I want what you want. And it is amazing how when you ask this question first, the next things you ask for are different than when you ask first. It's amazing how I go into prayer to pray about things for me, but when I say not what I want but what you want, I end up praying for other people. Because something gets a hold of your heart. So, are you truly submitted to God? Do you really want His will in your life? Do you really have that relationship with, with, with Jesus that you desire and that He desires with you? Paul said this, if you, can, if you can surrender to His plans, His life, His plans, His will, His dreams, His actions, and, and you can take them on and say, God, I'm all into those. If you can get submitted to God in that way and He can really be the Lord of your life, then His will is good and it is pleasing. It will bring joy to your life. It is perfect. What does He mean there? He's saying, like, listen, God planned you before you were ever in your mother's womb and there is a perfect fit for you but the only way you're going to know that perfect fit is inside the will of God can you trust God enough to say Lord I'm giving it all to you and I want to be inside that perfect will of God because it is good and it is pleasing and it is perfect but have you really given your life to him here's the truth what James said in chapter 4 verse 17 and I didn't read this verse to you but right after he talks about and he says what is your life he goes on and here's what he says so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's sin. We can talk about sin as, you know, these ugly sins that we read in the Bible, but, but James brought it right home for every person that says he's our Lord. If we know the right thing to do and we fail to do it, we just sinned. That's truth. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head for just one moment. For you, have you known the right thing to do but not done it? Are you living in sin? Or have you never even had enough relationship with Jesus to ask the right questions? If you want to get a fresh start with him today and begin to see the will of God at work in your life, I want to pray with you. And I want to, I want to pray a simple prayer with you that gives us a fresh start, that gets us back into right relationship. When you leave this place, you can pray his will and he'll answer you. He'll be close to you. If you want to pray that prayer with me, if you're in here, if you're watching at home, would you just slip up your hand really quickly? There's hands going up all over the room right now. All right, you can put your hands down now. 
I'm going to ask all of you to repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I want to give my life to you today. My plans, my will, my ideas, my desires, I'm submitting it to you today. My life belongs to you. Forgive me for not doing the right thing. Draw me close again. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.